Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. So God did not bring about that evil situation. You guys can take a seat. You guys can take your seats. You look so beautiful today. God did not cause that bad thing to happen. But because he is good, because he is a good father, because he is for you, because he can perform his work, he if he's involved, it's going to be good, right? So, Carrick, can you put your hand on my shoulder? Carrick's going to represent God in this situation, and Candace is going to represent the enemy. Now, just pretend as if you're attacking me. Okay. You can just give me like a small... Yes. So, I am under attack. Can you keep, keep jabbing? I am under attack. This is not a good thing. God is not trying to teach me something. God did not bring this about. This is not his will. This is not good for me in any way, shape, or form. It has happened. It is happening. But what God will do is stop it. Go ahead and stop it. When we do what God tells us to do, God will stop it. <laughs> but then because he is good, he then turns it around to make it so good for me that it's very confusing that it was never him to begin with because people will then say well if it wasn't for that you wouldn't have got this or you wouldn't have gotten there and you would have all the time because God is good so anytime he's involved it's good it's just he's so overwhelmingly good that even the bad things that were sent to take you out not only did it not do that but it also set you up even more so <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Thank you. But that's not God. Go with me to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. We're continuing our series on the extreme goodness of God. I thought I'd be done with the series at the end of January, and now we're past mid-February. Here we are. Well, Pastor, when are you going to finish? We'll see. We'll find out together. How about that? So Psalm 105. And today's message is called, God's Not Done With You Yet. God is not done with you yet. Last week, we shared a message called, God is Still Good on the Battlefields of Life. And I encourage you to listen to that message. You'll find it on our Faith Plus app, as well as our YouTube channel, as well as our podcast. And one of the things we do here at Faith is we put all of our messages online for free so that you can go home and listen to it again and again and again. As you just heard, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So Psalm 105, and this verse has been echoing in my heart all week. And so we'll see how far I get in my notes. Psalm 105, verse 17. He, God, sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. Let's just pause there. Who sent Joseph? So, 
and eternity past when he was planning out humanity. He knew the family of Jacob is going to be in a situation. So he sent Joseph. Abraham has gone. Isaac has gone. Now Jacob and his boys, his family, they're not living the lifestyle of faith. They're not experiencing the abundance that Abraham had or Isaac had. They're now in a situation, and they're living just like natural people in the land. Yeah, they have a covenant with God, but they're not experiencing all of that covenant. And so God sent Joseph. But notice how many are familiar with the story of Joseph and know what his brothers did to him. God sent them, Joseph, for their deliverance, but they hurt him. Before I go forward, who hurt you? Who was that they in your life? God sent you, but you're hurt. See, that, see this is what I know got you, because people start looking down and looking away. See, people, you think you're online, you think you can hide. Nope, I got you too. Who hurts you? See, we're part of a culture that a lot of us, okay, we get hurt, we just keep going. Especially you fellas. Don't act like this today. I will call each and every one of you out. <laughs> and so you think your strength is pretending like you were never hurt. You think your strength is keep going even though you've been hurt. No, strength is healing and going forward. But because we don't heal, we stay hurt. And we go forward hurt. I remember this was about 15 years ago, and my wife was there, so she remembers the situation. I was in a situation where I felt betrayed, and I was betrayed. And so my close inner circle knew what I was going through. And then a person who was a friend, but they weren't like the close circle, they weren't a person I was talking to about this, they came up to me and Raquel and a few others said, you know, Garrick, I had this dream, you were in this dream, and you were walking around and there was a knife in your back. Someone had stabbed you in the back. And you were going around and says, look, somebody stabbed me in the back. Look, someone stabbed me in the back. And her dream was exactly what I was going through because I felt like somebody stabbed me in the back. And one of the things Raquel and others pointed out, but said, notice what you didn't do. You didn't take the knife out. You didn't get it treated. You didn't get healed. Yeah, you were stabbed in the back, but you're walking around hurt. And there's so many of us you might have been betrayed. You might have been lied on. You might have been done wrong. It's an injustice what happened to you. But instead of being healed, you're walking around hurt. And if anybody had a reason to walk around hurt, it was Joseph. God sent him, and they hated him. It got to such a point they could not say one nice thing to him. But God promised him. He gave him these dreams, says, one day they're all going to bow to you. One day they're go you're going to take care of everybody. These were dreams. Remember, Joseph lived in a time where there was no written word. All he had was his dream from God, and he was a teenager. What do teenagers tend to do? Talk too much. He didn't have the life experience of, like, just be quiet, don't tell nobody but he didn't have anyone else to talk to. He thought of anybody, I could tell my brothers. And remember, guys, remember this, his mother had died. 
couldn't talk to his mama. His father, Jacob, who should have understood, did not understand. He's trying to talk about it, yet 10 of the guys who should have had his back hated him. To the point his father says, go find them. And he goes to find where they are, and they see him coming. They said, let's kill him. And then one of the brothers who had some sense, like, well, let's not kill him. Let's put him in the pit, because he had a plan, the Bible says, to rescue him and take him back to his father. And so while he goes off to do the plan to rescue him, Joseph's in a pit. Can you imagine being in a pit, put there by your brothers? Imagine what's going through his mind, his heart, his soul as he's in this pit. Eventually, he's like, hey, this is not a practical joke anymore. Come on, guys, get me out this pit. Get me out this pit. And when they finally get him out of his pit, he realizes he's being sold. He went from favorite child to slave in a day. They put his feet in fetters. It says next, they laid him in irons. They hurt him as he's on the way to Egypt. If anybody had a reason to be bitter, it is Joseph. If anybody had a reason to be hurt, it's Joseph. Remember, he went from the child who had the promises. God sent him. There was a plan for his life. And now he is led to Egypt by the Ishmaelites to be sold in Egypt. Also, let's think about the Ishmaelites. Well, maybe they should have rescued him. Shouldn't they? They descendants of one of his family members, but they didn't. So now he's on his way to Egypt, chained, hurt. Yet God had sent him. You would think God's done with him because of the situation he found himself in. But I'm here to proclaim to you, God's not done with you yet. You may be in a situation where you're hurt because of what somebody else did to you. It's not your fault, but it is your fight now. You're going through something. You didn't cause this. It's an injustice. It's wrong. They betrayed you. They lied on you. They stabbed you in the back. You're hurt. But God's not done with you yet. Notice what it says next. Until the time that his word came to pass, or what he prophesied came to pass. Notice this phrase, the word of the Lord tested him. You might think, oh no, no, being a pit, that's a test. Being sold, that's a test. Being in Potiphar's house, that's a test. No, 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 no. It said the word tested him. That word tested means to be tried to be refined like a purifier's fire. It means to be purified. So he's hurt, but the word is testing him. Let that sink in. Well, what does that mean? You guys have to understand, as the first lady I already shared with you, God does not send bad things to teach you something. Satan is not the teacher of the church, the Holy Ghost is. I'll say it again. Satan is not the teacher of the church. The Holy Ghost is. 
And how does the Holy Ghost teach you? With his word. And so what was refining Joseph? The pit? No, the word. What was purifying Joseph? The pit? No, the word. What was testing and trying Joseph? The pit? No, the word. Go with me to John 15. We'll go back to Joseph in a little bit. God's not done with you yet. So say it out loud and put it on the chat. If you're watching online, say, God's not done with me yet. I'm going to say it again. Say, God's not done with me yet. Thank you, sir. John 15, verse 1. Because we see all these religious phrases that sometimes aren't biblically true. So, oh, God only gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. You know, people at this point kind of make a joke out of it. They make a TikTok out of it. It says, you know, I want to make sure I'm not on the strongest soldier list for 2023. I'm going to pass that title to somebody else. But God does not give his toughest battles to strongest soldiers. That is not Bible. The Bible says that when you are tried, God will always provide a way out. They'll add it to, oh, God gave me the sickness to teach me something. No, he didn't. Sickness is not the teacher of the church. The Holy Ghost is. And if it was true that God gave you the sickness to teach you something, then are you disobedient for going to the hospital? For taking medicine? For going to the doctor? For trying to get better? Come on, if you really thought about it, you don't believe that. God did not give you sickness to teach you something. Well, you know, I only learned that God was a healer because I was sick. No, you could have opened up the book and saw that he was a healer. Stop glorifying the struggle. Put the honor on the book. Notice what it says in John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, or the husbandman, the farmer. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Notice, branch in me. So that means they're believers. They saved. Notice what he does. He takes it away. It's like, oh, that's harsh. No, no, no. That phrase, takes away, is a farming term. That means to lift up, pair with a fruitful branch, put it closer to the sun so you can receive the nutrients it needs. So if you're not bearing fruit, God will lift you up, partner you with somebody who is bearing fruit, and get you in a place where you can receive what you need. So that means God's plan for you to bear fruit is actually for you to have kingdom relationships. So that means you just can't be an island all by yourself. I'll be good, just me and Jesus. No, that's not what the Bible says. And we've looked at the example of Jesus before. The Son of God, who knew what was in people's hearts, had friends. He was on a mission to save the world, yet he had time to have friends. So I think you got time to have some friends. So oh, I got a lot of kids. I get that. But you can text somebody. You can still make time for what's important to you. You make time to binge Netflix, you can make time for what's important to you. God's strategy to help you bear fruit is to lift you up and connect you with people who are bearing fruit. So if you're not bearing fruit, God's not done with you. He still has a plan for you. Well, notice what it says next. And for those who bear fruit, King James says he purges, the new King James says he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Oh, God took me through this situation so I could just be more productive. That is not what the Bible says. Because the next verse says, you are already clean because of the word 
which I have spoken to you. That same word clean is the same word you see as prune or purged. He says, for those who are producing, he sends more word. Why? So they can produce more. Jesus is the greatest businessman that's ever existed. You producing, great, produce some more. You made a profit, great, make some more. And what is his strategy? Here is some more word. Not here's some sickness, or here's some disease, or here's some curse, or here's some depression, or here's some attack of the devil. No, here's some word. Go with me to Mark chapter 4. Because remember, it was the word that refined, tested, and purified Joseph. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, when you study it out, you see it repeated, you know, in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's as well. But as you study out this parable, you realize it is the most important parable in the Bible. Because this parable interprets all the other parables of Jesus. Because when they ask Jesus about it, they say, oh, if you don't know this parable, how are you going to get the rest? Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat on the sea, and the whole multitude was facing, well, on the land was facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said this to them in his teaching. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. Notice, it wasn't the twelve who asked him this time. It was those with him. Well, who are those with him? You read Luke chapter 8, you realize Jesus had a crew that went with them, not just the twelve apostles. And so they said, well, Jesus, we want to know what that meant. The crowds are gone. We need part two of that message. And then he explains to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that he begins to quote a prophecy. Seeing that they may see and not perceive, and hear and they may not hear or understand, lest they should turn and their sins will be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables, the sower Souls, the what? Word. So the most important parable Jesus taught was about the word. He says, the sower sows the word. Notice what he says next. And these are the ones that are by the wayside or the side of the highway. Now, how many know the side of I-20 or 285 is not the best place to have a farm? If you were going to plant a garden you want to plant something that you're going to actually grow and reap from, you're not going to go to the side of 20. You're not. Or 75 or 85. That is not where you're going to plant a farm. Because you know that gravel mixture of that dirt is not good for growing what you want to grow, right? So he's talking about people here whose heart is like the side of the highway. Their hearts are not good ground for the word. And so the word gets to them. Why? Because God is good to everybody. He'll send the word to everybody. 
But the word comes, they hear it, but they don't receive it. Notice the difference. You can't just hear what God says, you also have to receive it. There's a lot of people who hear the word, but don't receive it. So they heard it, they didn't receive it, so what happened? Satan came immediately and took away the word that was sown in their hearts. Immediately, right then. They didn't receive it, he's like, I'll take that. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. So yeah, that, their heart is better than the side of the highway, but their heart is uncultivated. How many of you are planting a garden, you gotta take some stuff out of the earth? You got to cultivate that ground before you sow. So these people, they don't have cultivated ground. It's just there. They just put a seed in the ground. Let's see what happens. Notice what happens. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Well, that's better than the first group. This group heard and they received it. They took it. They laid hold to it. They claimed it. That's what it means. They named it and claimed it. Oh, this is what God said. I believe it is mine. And it says they received it with gladness. The word gladness was a shout. So not only did they name it, they claimed it, and they began to shout about it. They began to dance about it. They probably took off and ran five laps around the building when they heard it. And notice what that response was. Immediately received with gladness. And remember the example of Mark 4 was it shot up quickly. So that lets you know if you receive what God says and you claim it as yours and you begin to rejoice about it, it will work for you quickly. They had quick production of the word. But notice it says they had no root in themselves and so endured only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation, which is pressure brought by circumstance, or persecution, which is pressure brought by people, arises for the what? Word's sake. The pressure came because they received the word. Can you see that? So who put the pressure on them? Was it God? No. God gave them the word. Who put the pressure? The one who wants to take the word, the thief himself, Satan. He put pressure and the pressure is described like the sun. So imagine, now we think the sun is hot here in Georgia, but imagine Jesus telling this parable in the Middle East. Imagine what the sun is like in the desert. Think about that. And it scorched what they heard. And now when the sun is done, they have no evidence that they received anything in the first place. That's Satan's goal, to make your life look like you never received the word in the first place. Because when this thing is scorched, it's dried up. It's not there anymore. That's what Satan came to do. But then this is another group of people. Now, these are ones who are sown among thorns or weeds. How many weeds aren't good for your garden? Now, here are the weeds. These are the ones who hear the word and the cares or the anxiety of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and lies about money, and the desires of other things enter and choke the word. That word choke means to crowd out. I like to use the example of anybody remember playing musical chairs growing up? And so the person who won musical chairs was not always the fastest person, but sometimes the one who knew how to booty bump person out the chair. <laughs> That's the true winner. You may not be the fastest, but you knew how to position yourself well. 
That's what anxiety does. Booty bumps the word out your heart. That's what lies about money do. Now, what's a lie about money? That money is evil. That is a lie about money. The Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. That phrase love of money is actually translated from the Greek extreme avarice. And avarice is already extreme greed. So it's extreme, extreme greed is the root of all evil. So if you believe money is evil, you have a lie about money in your heart. If you believe money will fix everything in your life, then you got a lie about money in your heart. If you believe money over everything, you got a lie about money in your heart. So it's any deception or lie connected to wealth or money, and then desires for other things. Now, some trying to say lust, others says desires. What is that about? Desires for other things are simply desires you let rise up and get in between what God has called you to do. Because remember, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. These desires are things you put first ahead of God, ahead of his plan. They could be good things. They could be wonderful things. But if you put them in the wrong place, it will crowd out the word. Now, notice something interesting about this part of the parable. It didn't say that the word disappeared. It wasn't like the pressure. The word plant is still there. It's just not producing. So you look like you got some word. You look saved. People look at you and say, oh, yeah, you look churchy. You look like you met Jesus somewhere along the way. But the word isn't working for you. You see someone else rejoice because of their testimony. And then you come up with some strange doctrine, well, God just loves them more. Or God doesn't want me to have that. Because you're trying to justify and explain while the word is not working for you. And Jesus said it's the deception about money, it's the anxiety and the worry, and it's putting desires in places where it shouldn't be. It says it crowds out the word. It keeps the word from working. The almighty, powerful word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword won't work for you the way it should if you allow these things to grow in your heart. Now, notice it's growing out of the soil, so it comes from a seed. And seeds get into places like you never know how it got there. I remember years ago, we had this weed pop up on, at our house, and it was a farm weed that has grown among corn. I don't live near a farm. I don't know where it came from. Now, of course, we had to remove it, but that shows you just how seeds can travel in the air or by birds or by whatever and get to places. And so that means you have to continually watch your heart because there can be something sown in your heart. You don't even know how it got there. See, there are multiple sowers in the Bible. God's a sower. Humans are sower, but so is the enemy. And so he's actively trying to sow things in your heart, whether you realize it or not. And so you may not realize it as a seed, but you realize it when you see that anxiety creeping. It's, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to allow that. You realize it when the lie tries to your mind, nope, nope, I'm not going to allow that. You realize it when a desire tries to get in place of what God's called you to do. You have to check it. You may not always realize it when it's a seed, but when it begins to produce, you must check that if you want the word to work for you. But then Jesus talks about the final group of people. But these are the ones who are sown on good ground, so cultivated ground the one who dealt with the weeds, the one who dealt with the stony ground, the ones who received the word. 
They're good ground. Say, I'm good ground. So, oh, pastor, what you said, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm good ground yet. Well, say it by faith. Say, I'm good ground. Come on, say it out loud. Put it in the chat. Say, I'm good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now, 30 is pretty good. It's better than the groups that did nothing. 60 is even better. But how about, I want the maximum attainable. Anybody want the maximum attainable? It's like, if it's available, I want it. If I want the, it's what we would call the hundredfold return. That represents the maximum production available. In this context, it's what the words you receive producing to its highest level. How much can that word produce in your life if you actually let it grow and take care of it, like Jesus said? Because it was the word that refined, purified, tested, and tried Joseph. So let's go back to Joseph, Genesis 39. Genesis 39. In a pit, sold on his way to Egypt. You have to imagine he is still thinking about the dream God gave him. So he gets down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. Wait, how can... God be with you if my situation is trifling. How can God be with me if I'm hurt by what people did to me? Now remember, this brother is called a slave, right? But God is with him. And because God is with him and gives him favor, this dude runs everything. It says, where Potiphar did not know what he ate was on the menu except what was put before him. He turned everything over to Joseph. So it does not matter what they call you. It just matters that God is with you. Because everything is stacked for Joseph to fail. But God did not leave him alone. God sent him and went with him. So although Joseph was in the pit, so was God. Although Joseph is walking down, led by the Ishmaelites, so is God. Although now Joseph is in Potiphar's house, so is God. Because God was not done with Joseph yet. So he begins to prosper. He begins to succeed. He begins to grow in favor and prestige. He's probably thinking, no, I didn't choose this path for life, but at least things are kind of working out now. Things are, it's getting better. I can see some sunlight. And then enters Mrs. Potiphar and her unholy ways, whorish ways, oh-like ways. She sees this young dude and says, oh, he looks good. I want him. And so she begins to put the pressure on Joseph every single day. And Joseph says, no, he said, how could I sit against God and against your husband? Not just once, 
every day. And now you know Mrs. Potter ain't ugly. You already know. Because he could have said, oh, yeah, you're just not my type. <laughs> this is a temptation. This is pressure. And he says no every single day. Then Mrs. Potiphar lays a trap. She gets everybody out the house. And remember, Joseph's responsibility is to look at everything. So he has to go into the house. So he gets into the house, and she grabs him and says, sleep with me. Wow, that's not even suggestive. That is just right there, up in your face. <laughs> and you know what he does? He takes off running. Lee, like she's grabbed, she didn't just, she grabbed onto his clothes so hard that when he ran, the clothes were still in her hand. That was that grip she had. This wasn't just, hey, you should say, no, this is a grip. He takes off running, and then she said, I've had it. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to wait till my husband gets home. She sets another trap. She says, this Hebrew you brought in, try to sleep with me today. See, I got his clothes. Well, she got his clothes for another reason, but she got his clothes. And so Potiphar believes his wife. And guess what happens? He throws him into the political prison. As soon as Joseph thought it's finally turned around, now this brother's locked up. Unjustly so. He didn't do anything wrong. He did everything right. Yet he's been put into a pit, and now he's in a prison. It's not his fault. But do you know what it says? But God was with him. And God showed him mercy, which is covenant love. God still had a covenant that he made with Abraham. And although Joseph's in a situation because of trifling people, God said, I'm still going to keep my promises I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to you, Joseph, I'm with you. Now, when's the last time you heard a prisoner telling other prisoners what to do in the prison? Where the guard over the prison turns everything over to Joseph. He's in charge. And at this time, they were thrown in two political officials, part of Pharaoh's cabinet. It says Pharaoh got mad at them and threw them in jail. And both had dreams, and Joseph overheard these dreams and interpreted them. And they're like, and Joseph, I only have one thing. I just have one thing. I'm not in here, it's, I'm in here and it's not my fault. When I get out, please tell Pharaoh that this dude locked up in here is not his fault, just please remember me when you get out. That's his one request. He gets out, everything he said came to pass. One of those officials is killed, the other one is restored to their position. And then you know what it says next? The one who was restored to his position forgot Joseph. Bruh, he's been in a pit, now he's in prison. Now he is forgotten about in an ancient Egyptian political prison for two years. But it was the word that tested Joseph. Because you can imagine while he's forgotten about, he still remembers the dream. He still remembers what God said. And it's that word tested him, tried him, refined him, purified him. And then one day, Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. And he says, I don't know what they mean. 
And then that official who forgot you was like, oh, Sparrow, my bad. This is a dude in prison. He didn't do anything wrong, my bad. But he can interpret dreams. Everything he interpreted came to pass. You need to get him. So Pharaoh said, well, get him. So they says he calls for him hastily, and Joseph runs up. He shaves, and he appears before Pharaoh. And he says, he says, Joseph, I hear you can interpret dreams. He says, it's not in me, but God will give you an answer of peace. And so Pharaoh tells him the dreams, and Joseph interprets as God gave you these two dreams. They both mean the same thing. He said it twice because it's going to be soon established. There are seven years of plenty coming, followed by seven years of famine that's going to swallow up the plenty. And here's what you should do. You should put somebody whom you trust over everything to gather extra during this time of plenty so that no one runs out during the time of famine. And after he finishes explaining, everybody's quiet, just looking at him. And Pharaoh goes, well, who else is as smart as you? Who else has the Spirit of God in him? I'm putting you over everything, starting with my house. So here's the Pharaoh, the king, the emperor. First, you're going to run my bank accounts. Everything in my house is now under your control. Now, after that, you are going to run the empire. Whatever, they, whatever you say, they got to do. If you say jump in the air, they need to ask how high. And then he says, get my chariot ready. Ride Joseph around and tell everybody, bow down. Wow. Man, telling people bow down, it wasn't even a Beyonce song. He just, people just bow. <laughs> so Joseph's in this position. He went from the pit to the prison, to the palace. He is 30 years old, running an empire. And it says about him later, Joseph says, God has made me a father to Pharaoh. So now, Pharaoh is going to look like Joseph, like a father. And so whatever Joseph tells Pharaoh to do, Pharaoh's going to yield and follow Joseph's influence. How was Joseph ready to rule an empire? The word tested him, tried him, refined him, purified him, and got him ready for this position. See, I remember it's about almost 17 years ago. I was 20 years old. I'd only been out of ministry school for less than two years. And I'm standing in the pulpit of the largest church of Argentina. There are thousands of people in the room. And we've been there for almost two weeks doing this business mission trip. And the Holy Ghost kept showing up during our business meetings, healing people. We had thousands of people get healed. Lives were changed forever. And so mostly I've been sharing business principles and what to do with a God idea. And I just had on my heart, I need to preach a message. So I told the person over the table, I said, I just need five minutes. Just let me preach. And so they gave me the five minutes, and I began to summarize the life of Joseph. And the Lord reminded me about this week to proclaim it over you. Joseph went, to the, went from the pit to the prison to the palace. I told them back then, and it was true for them then, and it's true for you now. It's palace time for your life. You've been in some pits. You've been in some prisons. 
but God is not done with you yet. He is taking you to the palace. And it's not the pit that prepared you. It's not the prison that prepared you. It is the word of the living God that has tried you, that has tested you, that has refined you, that has purified you and made you ready to step in positions of prominence, to step into positions of influence. It's palace time for your life. Now, I remember when I proclaimed that all those years ago, they lifted their hands and they said in the Spanish, they said, I receive it. And I remember a year later, I came back and they were stopping me in line because people were lined up to get into the building. They're stopping me in line. They said, it's Palestine. It's Palestine. A year later, they're still saying what God said. It's Palestine. It's Palestine. It's Palestine. And God was doing wonders in their life. And I got back that second year and the pastor who's over this church, they've been revival for decades. He said, Carrick speaks every night he's here. And he left. I don't know where he went. I'm 21 now, preaching at the largest church. Every night. And the last night, it was the pastor's meeting. So there were thousands of pastors in the room. And so the pastor's son pulled me aside and said, the anointing of Argentina is with you tonight. What you say, they're going to take back to their congregations across this nation. And so I was sitting there earlier that morning. God told me what to say. So I get up to them, and I open my Bible and I track the blessing from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to them. And we saw the blessing work in their lives. It's the same thing the blessing wants to do in your lives. It's palace time for your life. It's time to get out the pits it's time to get out the prisons. It's time to go into the palace. Remember I said, this is a year where you're increasing in influence because you are the light of this world. You are the salt of this earth. So God will lift you up. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5? You don't think I'm gonna light, set a lamp and hide it, do you? No, I'm gonna put it where everybody can see it. He said, well, how am I gonna be ready to stand in this position you let the word work on you. You let the word do its job. The word is refining you. It is working on you. So when you're going through something, don't run away from the word. Run to the word. Let it correct you. If it steps on your toes, let it step on your toes. If it checks you, if it rebukes you, let it check you. Let it rebuke you so you're ready to stand in the position God made you for. Because now that Joseph is 30, He's in this position. He gets married. He has two kids, Manasseh and Ephraim. And what is so interesting about these names tells you what God was doing inside Joseph's heart. It says, skipping down, we're in Genesis 41 now. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. He's healed. God made me forget all the bad things I went through. God made me forget what they did to me in my father's house. 
But then he goes for his next son, Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. This was supposed to be my land of hurt, my land of trouble, yet now I'm productive. I was supposed to be in this situation experiencing pain, experiencing hardship, yet I'm prospering. What situation are you in today that someone put you in because they thought it was going to hurt you? But God said, I'm going to use it to prosper you. He's in this situation healed, able to rule because he's healed. And the word worked on him. And the word came to pass. And I said during the seven years, it says Joseph very much gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. One translation says was bumper crops for seven years. Now, you've learned about the ancient Egyptians in school. You know they were advanced in mathematics. How much does it have to be for the advanced mathematicians to stop counting? They were advanced. It's like, you know what? We ain't counting no more. It's a lot. That's what we're going to say. What is the official amount, Pharaoh? A lot. And that's what came in for seven years. And Joseph, by the wisdom of God, saved 20% of everything that came in and stored it in Egypt. You want to know how Egypt became super wealthy at the period of time? Joseph. God sent him. God wasn't done with him. And so you get to Genesis 50, 20. And so we know the story that after these years were through, when the land where Jacob and his sons were ran out, they came to Egypt to buy corn and grain and bread, and Joseph sees them, and he remembers. Don't do that. You know you would remember too. And he has this chance to get even. Who is going to question Joseph? If he says, off with their heads, their heads go. Joseph's in charge. But notice what he did, what he told them when he read through the story. He calls them privately, takes off his Egyptian headgear, and said, I'm Joseph. Now, you know they're terrified. You be too. They are shaking in their ancient boots. And he says, don't be afraid. Is my father really alive? Go get him. Go get your families. Go get your little ones. I'm going to take care of every single one of you. And so when Pharaoh heard that Joseph's family was coming, Pharaoh got excited. So Pharaoh gave them land. Do you know what land Pharaoh gave them? What it was called? Goshen. And we said, this is a year of Goshen. And so they came down to Egypt, provided for, because God sent Joseph. But now, after Jacob has died, they, the other brothers are really like, oh, now he didn't kill us because dad was alive. But now that dad is gone, we're done for. So they come before him, you know, on their knees begging, hey, remember, you know, dad wouldn't want you to kill us right now. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but what does Joseph tell them? Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it, or God turned it for good. 
Joseph was so healed, he was able to rename his pain. They hurt him. But before it was all said and done, yeah, you planned evil, but God turned it. You try to take me down, but God turned it. You meant it for evil. God meant it and turned it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. So it stopped being just about me when I was in the pit. It stopped just being about my family. God had a plan to save this entire family. Remember, wait, pause, pause, pause. Save that family from whom Jesus came through. So when God worked through Joseph, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about the entire current generation because Egypt survived because of Joseph. Every country that came to Egypt and got food and took it back survived because God sent a man named Joseph. And so when God takes you to where you're going, it's not just about you. So don't use it as a time to say, well, you know, I'm, you know, succeed is the best way to get back at your haters. Stop thinking about your haters. You are prospering for a purpose. He is preparing you for a position. And the reason is to save much people alive, including your haters. He will position you in a way where you can be a blessing to many people. It's palace time for your life. It's time to get out the pit. It's time to come out of the prisons that have held you for so long. Because God is not done with you yet. He did not leave Joseph in the pit, and he will not leave you in the pit. He didn't leave Joseph in prison, and he won't leave you in prisons. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set liberty them that are bruised. To set at liberty those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That anointing is on our Savior. And it didn't stop when he ascended. That anointing is still working today. What is their anointing? It removes burdens. It destroys yokes. You may have been hurt by what they try to chain you with, but what has chained you has to come off you today. You may feel like Lazarus raised from the dead, but you still got some grave clothes on you. But Jesus is saying to you today, loose him and let him go. What has bound you can't bind you any longer. What is associated with death can't hang on you any longer. What has kept you bound can't bind you any longer. It is palace time for your life. He's raising up a people who would dare to believe him, to believe that he can use them in this day. In a time of revival, in a time of awakening, he's looking for people who will let him be God in them. I'm not discounting what you've been through. I'm just here to tell you it ain't over yet. There's still more to your story. Your story is not a tragedy. Your story does not end in defeat. Because God doesn't plan any failures. You're going to experience a victory. God will restore. 
God will grant recompense. God will make it right. God will heal your heart. God will heal your mind. God will restore your soul. God will make it right for you and yours. It is palace time for your life. It's time for you to experience the extreme goodness of God. Just let the word work on you. It says, wage a good warfare by the prophecies that have been spoken over you. The Lord taught us it will be an extremely good year and to focus on his goodness. He said it's a year of blessing. It's a year of refreshing. It's a year of reaching for the maximum attainable. So you keep that word in your mouth. You keep the phrase, it's Palestine, in your mouth. And so when you look at a situation, you realize that's not the end of my story. You get a doctor's report, you realize, that's not the end of my story. You get an unexpected bill, that's not the end of my story. Something happens in your family, that's not the end of my story. God is still good on the battlefields of life. God's not done with me yet. It's Palestine. It's Palestine. Some of you are like, why are you pausing? Because I stepped over into the other office. It's Palestine. I'm telling you, God has a plan for your life that's bigger than just you. It is to impact this new city. It's to impact this county. It's to impact this metro area. It's to impact this state and beyond. But you can't stay internally in the pit. You can't stay internally in the prison. Yes, you've come out physically, but you also have to come out on the inside. You have to leave your past behind and let God take you forward. Because yes, he's got plans for you, but it's not just about you. He's going to save many people alive. And he's gonna use you. He will lift you up. He will restore you. He will heal you. He will work through you. This is your year of the extreme goodness of God. He said this year you would see the depravity and the lack of man. We've seen it already. But he told us to focus on his goodness. He said we will see the extreme goodness and extreme provision of God. Let all those things go on around us. It will be a year of Goshen for us. He told us it's a year of the blessing. It's a year of refreshing. It's a year we're going for the maximum attainable. So we don't limit ourselves by our past. We don't limit ourselves by what people say to us or said about us. We go forward to what God has promised. It doesn't matter what you've been through or where you find yourself today. It's not over yet. There's still breath in your body. God is not done with you. Stand to your feet. Oh, we thank you. Oh, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for being so faithful.
As you were with Joseph, you are with us. As you were with Moses, you are with us. As you are with our Savior, our Lord Jesus, you are with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. So thank you for getting us out the pit. Thank you for taking us out the prison. Thank you for taking us into the palace. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is going to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message, and remember, God has a great plan for your life, and something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.